Uh, God in heaven, we thank you uh, for today. We know that your word, Lord, says that every day is a gift from you, that your mercies are new for us each and every day, and that you are a faithful God, and another day, well, it just proves that. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for this church family. I thank you for this church family, Lord. I love being a part of Genesis, and I love what you're doing here. Uh, Thank you that we can be here this morning uh, as a church family to worship you, to learn about you, to connect with one another. Uh, Thanks for those that call Genesis their home. Uh, maybe for those that are here for the first time or for the first time uh, in a long time, Lord. Uh, Here's what we're asking today. God, would you use today in a powerful way uh, for each and every one of us? I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, even right now, um, that you will uh, do what you need to do, uh, that you would open up hearts and minds. And Lord, maybe if there's even one thing uh, that you have for each of us today, that we would be aware of that and uh, whatever steps you might want to take in our life, next, Lord, uh, that we might be willing to take those steps. We need your presence here today because without it, this means nothing. And so, Lord, would you be here with us? Uh, Would you guide and direct us? Would you guide and direct me through my words that I share now and most importantly through your word? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I did something new this summer, something I've never done before. My son Joel and I, along with uh, Kent and Zoe and Brooke Dinius, who go to Genesis, uh, and six others, we spent three and a half days hiking a portion of the Appalachian Trail in uh, Shenandoah National Park, Virginia. And I love being outside. Um, I love uh, my family. We've been trying to get it to as many of the national parks as possible, and so I love doing that. Um, I love hiking but I've never done any overnight backpacking. Um, Why? I like warm showers. Um, I I like sleeping in a bed, an air condition. I I sleep with a body pillow, all right? And I'm not ashamed to admit that to anyone. And so, uh, and I like to think that I'm in pretty good shape, but this three and a half day, 45 mile uh, trip was really pretty challenging. And uh, I know this won't apply to everyone, but just like think about the hardest hike you've ever done before. 30 times in a row, like up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain. This is what we did for three and a half days. And and you got to carry everything with you. And so your backpack has your food and your sleeping gear and your first aid equipment. And the goal was 25 pounds or less on your back. And carrying that pack was one thing, but it was almost just as much of a challenge to make sure that you were able to get it under 25 pounds. And it was a lot of fun, great company, great memories. And I never would have done it or accomplished it without my my good friend, Kent Denius. And Kent and I had the responsibility of bringing up the rear of the trail, the group, the entire way through. Kent has hiked over 800 miles of the trail. He's what's called a section hiker, which means that every year he and his friends go back to the trail and they hike different sections of it with the hopes of eventually completing all 2,200 miles. And as you can imagine, preparation is a big part of the experience. I mean, you don't just decide one day that you're going to hike the AT and then set out the next. And so thankfully, Kent started teaching me some of the basics of backpacking months ago. And we talked about the trail and we talked a lot about the history behind it. And he helped me collect all of the important supplies that are necessary to do it. And he encouraged me to get ready physically too, because it's one thing, you know this, it's one thing to get all the right gear, but if you aren't physically prepared for the hike, it will tear you up. I mean, it will eat you alive. Isn't it true that preparation is a big part of life? 
Uh, even as you think about your week right now, what's coming up? I mean, we're always thinking about preparing. The Boy Scouts have a motto, right? Be prepared because if you're going to have a new baby, you use the months leading up to the delivery to get ready for the new baby. We prepare to send our kids back to school. You prepare to send a kid off to college. You prepare students for a test at school. Maybe you've got an exam or a certification coming up for work, and so you prepare for that. We prepare for our trips. If if you're going to throw a party, you prepare the guest list, you clean the house, you, you purchase all of the food because preparation is everything. But what about those things in life that you can't prepare for? You know, what about the surprises that come up, those things that are hiding behind the corner, that one thing that's going to happen later in this week that you have no idea about, like things like a bad doctor's report, um, a relationship that's lost or fading. Maybe you've got a, a child right now that's making some difficult decisions, making some poor choices. Uh, maybe you've got parents that are aging and you're realizing that the responsibilities of caring for them and making decisions for them uh, are on you. Maybe you're at a place here this morning where you would say, you know what, my faith feels stale. Uh, it feels dry or I don't really feel close to God right now and I don't know what to do about it. Like how do you prepare? How do you move forward when life doesn't always go as planned? How do you move forward when things like fear have you paralyzed? Jesus had preparation in mind as he met with his disciples in the upper room. And if you remember, and as we've been studying along in the Gospel of John, Jesus and his disciples have spent about three years together, maybe three and a half. Uh, and now it's hours before Jesus goes to the cross. It's the final night. His disciples knew something was up, but I don't think they realized how little time he had left. And Jesus, he could see the concern in their eyes. Uh, and because he loved them, he wanted to be sure that that they were prepared for everything that was to come. And so for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 14. Two weeks ago, uh, we looked as Jesus talks about the promise of heaven, uh, and Jesus told them, I am going to prepare a place for you. Last weekend at our outdoor service, our campus pastor, Steve Wallen, talked about the Holy Spirit. As Jesus talks about in John chapter 14, he says, it's to your advantage, he says to the disciples, that I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send a helper. I'll send another one that will be with you. He'll come alongside of you and he'll be with you forever. Today, if you've got a Bible, we're in John chapter 15. And we're going to look at just the first few verses of John chapter 15 as Jesus is going to share some important words with his disciples to further prepare them for what's to come, but also encourage them for how to live faithfully and boldly for Jesus in this world. And here's the thing, what Jesus says to his disciples, it's for us too. Right, we believe these words are living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so what Jesus says to them, he is saying to us as well, and may God open up our hearts that we might hear it for ourselves today as Jesus has something to say about our own preparedness and our own faithfulness to him. So John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, let's going to read. I want to read the first eight verses with you, and then we'll dig into a few of them together. Jesus begins, John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more faithful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, though, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. All of Jesus' words are important, every single one of them. They're true and they're important, the words that we read in the New Testament. But I think these words here in John 15 may be some of the most important, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ today. And verse 5 in particular, when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying there is something important about the connection. There's something critically important about the relationship I'm offering to you because I want you to be prepared, Jesus says, for what's to come. And because I've got a plan and a purpose for your life here on this earth, Jesus says, what? Remain in me, abide in me, apart from me, you can't do anything. Let's dig a little deeper into some of these words today so that we can get a better idea of what Jesus is saying. And to do that, I want to call our attention to at least three central figures that we see the role they play here in Jesus' allegory, beginning in, again, John chapter 15, verse 5, when Jesus says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. And just a few verses prior to this, he says something uh, additional with one additional adjective, and it's the word true. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Who is the vine? Jesus is. Jesus says, I am the vine. He is the true vine. Now, notice that Jesus says, I am. And interestingly, this is the seventh and final time, the seventh and final I am statement in the Gospel of John. And like others, it has great implications as it makes a statement about who Jesus is and why he has come. But the timing of Jesus' words here in John chapter 15 are pretty fascinating too because according, if you've got your Bible open to the last verse of John chapter 14, look what it says, Jesus and his disciples, they They've left, meaning they've left the upper room. They're likely on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, but not before stopping somewhere. And most scholars think that Jesus and the disciples are standing near the temple. And this is a model of the temple that can be seen at the, uh, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem today. But one of the interesting things about the temple was the grapevine made of gold that covered the facade to the entrance of the holy place of the temple. And Bible scholar uh, Dr. Gary Burge notes that most likely wealthy citizens would have financed the creation of the gold vine, much like people contribute to a building or to a memorial today. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus described the grapevine at the temple and how elaborate it was, how massive it was with clusters of grapes the size of grown men. Now, why a grapevine? Well, the grapevine was a national symbol in Israel, much like the 
the eagle is for the United States today. And the vine was so widely known that it was imprinted on the coins of the nation. And it all originated with numerous Old Testament passages which describe the nation of Israel like a vine planted in Canaan by God. And we see it in passages like Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 and 9, when we read that you, that God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. In the book of Exodus, God called the people out of Egypt. They are like a vine. He says, you drove out the nations, all right, that is the nations of Canaan, and planted the people there. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. And so it's with this vine as a backdrop that Jesus makes a revolutionary claim to his disciples, I am the true vine. In other words, you've been looking at the world and how to live and function in it, and it's challenging, all right? But it's all changing. It's all changing. Jesus says, this is a new day. There is a new way to faithfully follow God in this world, and it's through me. It's through Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the message. Here's the big idea. Jesus is saying to them, I am the true vine. He is saying, I am your source of life. And why does this matter? It matters because if Jesus is going to prepare his disciples for what's to come and how to live faithfully for him in this world, he wants to be sure that his disciples are following the right person, that their focus is on all of the right things. But the way that I look at it is if Jesus is the true vine, emphasis on true, it must also mean then that there are false ones, counterfeit vines out there. Can I ask you this morning, are you following, are you confident that you are following the right person with your life right now? Um, Are you confident that your focus is on all of the right things? Because if we're not careful, we can easily go looking for life and a lot of false or counterfeit things. We can go looking for life and things like love and a marriage or maybe the desire for a particular relationship. If we're not careful, we can take something good. We can take something like our goods, our, our kids, and, and we can look for life in them. We can, we can look for life in their success. We can look for life in, in their accomplishments and what they achieve. We go looking for life and satisfaction in things like success, success through our work. And maybe, you, maybe you've got a vision or a dream for your particular career. We, we go looking for life in financial security. We go looking for life in politics and the way we want it, it's easy to go looking for life in, well, the hopes of a pain-free, problem-free, you know, sort of life, the control that comes from it. Some of you call yourself a Christian, but the fact is that you're not following Jesus right now. Like you're just going through the motions. You've You've got everyone else fooled, including yourself. You're chasing other things. We chase after other dreams. And the irony is that they might not be bad things. Like we go looking for life in good things. We go looking for life in, in these things that God has provided for us, but we, we try and make them the ultimate thing. The problem is that when we make anything other than Jesus our ultimate source of life, we are, we are setting ourselves up for letdown. We are setting ourselves up for disappointment. If anything other than Jesus Christ is number one in your life, like you and I, we're not going to be prepared. And so Jesus tells his disciples, I'm the true vine. I am your source of life. And in the same way he meant it for the disciples as the true vine, Jesus wants to prepare us for what we could never accomplish on our own. He wants to lead and guide us. 
Jesus is the true vine, wants to influence the decisions that we make and the way that we react to others. He wants to give us wisdom. He, he wants to transform our lives, no matter how young or old you are, that you might look a little bit more like Jesus each and every day. He wants to be our source of life. And when the disciples previously heard vine, they thought Israel. I mean, for them, being Jewish was all that mattered. That was what was most important. But Jesus is flipping that belief upside down as he tells them, I am the true vine. I am your source of life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Can I ask you to consider this today? Like, what, what is it that is coming between you and God right now? And that might look a little different for every single one of us. Like, what's that one thing that stands between you and your relationship with the Lord? Like, is there something that he wants to illuminate in your life today? And if so, will you let him? And by his grace and his desire to change us and transform us, would you let him illuminate in, that your, in your life and listen to him because you can trust him like we can trust him today? But there's something else about his preparation that's worth noting because Jesus says, you know, as we consider, if he is the vine in John chapter 15, verse 5, again, Jesus says, I am the vine. Then he points out, he says, oh, and by the way, that means you are the branches, because again, when the people of Israel heard vine, they thought, well, Israel, but coming from an agrarian society, these disciples were very familiar with vines and branches and vineyards like the one shown here. And what's the point of a vineyard? Well, right, the point of a vineyard is fruit. It's fruit, right? It's, it's grapes. It's things like grapes, but for that to happen, a vineyard has to be cared for. It's Health and protection are of great importance. And in the same way, if you and I are going to reach our full potential as followers of Jesus in this world, one of the most basic lessons we can learn and be reminded of is that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And we can't get those roles mixed up. And what's my responsibility as a branch? Well, the most important thing I can do is stay connected to the vine because as a branch, I am completely dependent on the vine for life and support. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you, what, remain in me, stay connected to me. The NIV uses the word remain. It can also be translated as the word abide. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Abiding in Jesus means things like starting every day with Jesus. It means you are focused on his word, that we are asking the Holy Spirit to help uh, apply God's word into our lives. Abiding means you make it your goal to live for Jesus in all things. You're thinking about posting something on social media. Abiding means asking yourself, what would Jesus say through me in this particular situation? It's this ongoing awareness of his presence. You, you lean into him. You talk to him in prayer. You seek him for wisdom and courage and strength. Remember, it's all about the connection. Jenny and I went to Cancun a number of years ago before we ever had kids, and uh, we got to try scuba diving while we were there. But before we could do it, we had to prepare by going through a series of lessons. We had to take different tests. And when we finally had met all of the requirements, we were allowed to go out with the team for two separate dives. And I was a little nervous, all right? I was just a little nervous about that because there are things in the ocean that I don't want to see up close, right? I don't need to see the mouth of a shark, you know, coming at me or a barracuda or anything 
anything like that. But fear is just one of the many challenges to overcome because uh, learning to pressurize your ears uh, at different depths can be a, a big challenge. But one of the most difficult things for me to get used to was breathing through the mouthpiece, all right? The, the mouthpiece connected to the tube that was connected to the oxygen tank. And it was especially difficult after diving into the water because as you can imagine, you dive into that water and your heart rate immediately goes up and your, your body temperature is trying to adjust to the water temperature. You're, you're working hard to take it all in. You're trying to pressurize your ears and oh yeah, it's like, oh, you gotta keep breathing. Like remember to breathe through the mouthpiece. Like let the oxygen come in. I like what Dr. Gary Burge says about abiding in Jesus. He says this. He says, Christianity is not simply about believing the right things, though this is important, nor is it simply a matter of living a Christ-like life, though this is important too. He says, Christian, uh, the Christian experience must necessarily have a mystical, spiritual, non-quantifiable dimension. Hang with me, because this is where it gets real good. To be a disciple, he says, means having the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in us. It means having a supernatural interior experience that is completely unlike anything available in this world. He says it is a way of believing doctrine and a way of living ethics, but they are nurtured by the life-giving connection with Jesus Christ. He says that it's one thing to believe it. It's another thing to do the right things. But what he's trying to emphasize here is that the Christian experience is about a daily, constant connection to the vine, or as Beth Moore says, this is so good, she says it's about being tethered to Jesus like he's oxygen. It's about being in his presence at every moment of your day, no matter what you're doing, you do it together. You want to be prepared for the ups and downs of life? You want to, moms and dads, prepare your kids for how to faithfully follow Jesus in this world? There is nothing. There is nothing more important than our day-by-day, moment-by-moment connection to Jesus. He is the vine. We are the branches. And any branch that abides in him is going to bear fruit. And abiding, like when you think about it, especially if you've been around church for a while, like abiding seems like no big deal. Like, okay, I'll... I'll do that. I'll abide in Jesus. Like, I know the drill. I know the routine. But if it's no big deal, like, why is it the one thing that appears to be most missing from Christians' lives today? We don't abide. Like, we don't stay connected to Jesus the way that we should. And why? Because I'm busy. I got a big day ahead of me, you know? We, we, we don't have the time. Uh, we, we, we like to sleep into the last minute, lose ourselves in media. We don't read our Bibles for ourselves. We, we don't pray like we should. We, we prefer our self-sufficiency. We don't see the point of abiding in Jesus or we don't know how. Can I tell you something? Just being honest here. And, and I'm learning from my failures as much as I'm learning from any successes. Abiding in Jesus is the most important thing you and I can do as followers of Jesus Christ. Like you and I are not going to be prepared. We're not going to make it through. You and I are not capable of producing the kind of fruit uh, that God wants on our own. Like we can't do anything lasting apart from regular ongoing connection to Jesus. Because like any vineyard, one day the rain will stop. It'll get hot and dry. Pests can take over. Satan loves to attack. He loves to torment us. 
Man, he loves to torment me. He loves to interrupt our lives and disrupt our desire to follow Jesus in this world. Honestly, Satan will let you and me, he'll let us go to church, he'll let us serve, he'll let us join a group, even give money. If he can keep you and me from abiding in Jesus, he'll take it. Because he knows that if we're not abiding in Jesus, we're not living, we're not producing like we could. If we're not connected to the vine, we're not going to make it. But Jesus, on the other hand, you want to hear the great thing about Jesus? He wants to protect us. You know, as he speaks to his disciples, he wants to equip us. He wants to prepare us for life's ups and downs, whatever it is that might be thrown at us. Like he wants to bear fruit in our lives, fruit that that brings him glory and brings great satisfaction, not only to him, but also brings satisfaction in our lives too. But that kind of faithful living is not gonna come apart from abiding in Jesus each day. And Jesus knew that. Like he knew that this is his life, it's his story. Even though God, we know that Jesus became fully man and as a man, he had to be completely dependent on God for everything. Like he is, Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to abide, to remain connected to the Father. He relied on God for his words. He relied on God for his next decision, for courage, uh, for compassion, for the ability to love others. It was only through abiding that Jesus was able to go to the cross and die a death that I deserved. Like Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to abide. And here's the real encouraging part. Like what God the Father did for Jesus, he wants to do for you and me too. He wants to provide for us in the same way that he provided for Jesus because he loves us and he loves you. And our Father in heaven, he desires this ongoing intimate connection with every single one of us and he doesn't need us. He just really, really loves us. And because he loves us, he wants to protect us. He wants to guide and lead us. And he wants to do more in your life and in my life than I could ever possibly imagine. And so we see Jesus in this text. He's the vine. Uh, We find ourselves in this text as Jesus says, we are the branches. What about the Father? Well, he's there too. We see him way back in verse 1 at the beginning of this because Jesus says, I am the true vine. And he says, and my Father is the gardener. See, it's his vineyard. He's the master gardener. He's the one responsible for caring for the vine and the branches. And what does any good gardener want? A harvest. A big one, right? <clears throat> like the vineyard, <clears throat> excuse me. The vineyard isn't there for landscaping. Like the purpose of the vineyard is to produce fruit, but you can't just plant a vine and hope that something good comes from it. Like every good gardener knows that if you're going to get the most from your vineyard, then you're going to have to care for and regularly prune the branches. Pruning is part of his preparation. Pruning is the careful work uh, through the shears uh, of the gardener. Look at verse 2. Jesus says that he, the gardener, cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I was reading a little about the pruning process this past week, that in the Middle East, the pruning season typically occurs in the winter months when the branches are leafless and dormant. And so the gardener will go to work and pull out his shears before the buds emerge and cut back the branches, even those branches that look healthy, branches that previously produced fruit. Now to you and me, all right, the type, this type of vineyard surgery seems a little counterproductive or excessive. Like why in the world would you cut back branches that look healthy that previously uh, produced fruit? But that's ignorance. 
Because every good expert gardener knows that it's one thing to produce some fruit, it's an even greater thing to produce much fruit. That careful pruning extends the life of the branch. That intentional pruning leads to a higher quality grape. That regular pruning increases the harvest for years to come. And again, the gardener, he's not just looking to produce a little bit of fruit, he's aiming to produce much fruit a great harvest of fruit for years and years to come. And just like a gardener will prune his branches for the sake of fruit in the same way, our Father in heaven will prune us for the sake of producing more fruit in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I don't love this part of the teaching. Do I want to learn to abide in Jesus for the sake of all the benefits that come with it? Yes, absolutely. Do I want to live a faithful life and produce as much possible fruit as I can with the years that I've been given? I sure do. Do I want to endure pruning to endure things like discipline and pain and loss and and, and disappointment for the sake of even something better? I'm not there yet. And I don't completely understand it, but maybe one day I will. But like the gardener, Jesus describes here in these verses, God will prune you and me, which means there are times in my life and in your life where he will take the shears and cut away even good things. He'll cut away the things that aren't good for me. He'll cut some things away that could be good, but he cuts them away for the sake of something better. And that just means any number of things. It means things like he might allow a job to be lost, um, a relationship to fade, or a dream to go unrealized. Is it discipline? Sometimes. Other times, it's the reality of living in a broken world, a world where people suffer, a world where people die, a world where things change, uh, uh, things don't work out the way that we have planned. And, and while I'm not going to try and explain all of his reasons, because I don't understand all of these reasons, I do know this. He can use the losses and the pains and the disappointments and sufferings of life that we might need him more, that we might desire him even more. Make no mistake, while his pruning can be painful, confusing and difficult, it's never evil. His pruning is not without a purpose. He doesn't find pleasure in our pain. He can't be unloving. He's not like that. He is full of love. He is full of the truth, and he prunes those that he loves. And why does he prune us? Again, it's fruit. And just like a gardener prunes for the sake of even greater health, our Father can use the pain and trials and struggles of our lives for the sake of of so much more. I like what I heard someone say. Nothing is more painful to the branch than pruning. Nothing is more responsible of the gardener than avoiding it. We had dinner with some friends the other night, some friends that have uh, gone through some incredible loss and pain these last couple of years. And I was talking to them about this particular passage that I was going to be teaching from today. And I just asked them, I asked my friend, I said, would you call it pruning? Like, is that what you would call it these last couple of years and everything that you've gone through? And my friend paused for a bit. And then he thought about it and he said, yeah. I guess so. I guess that's what you call it. It's pruning. It's painful. I don't completely understand it, but here's what I'm realizing on this side of it all. He says, I can see God's hand 
and presence all over my life these last couple of years. I can see what he's doing in my faith and with my strength and my trust in him. And I can see, I can see how God is preparing me and my wife in even greater ways, that he's going to use what we've gone through for the sake of others, for the sake of his glory. That's fruit. It's becoming a little bit more like Jesus each and every day. I love these words too. The gardener is never closer to the branch than when he prunes it. You think about that picture. That even maybe what you're going through right now, that even if you can't see it yet, and maybe this is part of what God wants to do in your life, that maybe today you'll realize he's close, he's here. He's with me. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at again. There's only one way to fully prepare to follow him in this world. It's to abide in him, to abide in Jesus, the true vine. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what your question is today, the confusion, the pain, maybe the loss that you're in right now. Maybe you're in a good place, but still a little uncertain about what's to come. Is it pruning? Maybe, maybe not. What I do know is this, that Jesus is crazy about you. He died for you. He came, he gave his life for you and God raised him from the dead so that through his life flowing in us that we might have life in him too. And the most important thing that we can do today and every day is abide in Jesus. Abiding means every day in his word. Abiding means learning to pray, you know, having a daily ongoing conversation with God. It's it's spending time with his people, you know, that, that he is at work on a, on a, like on a Sunday morning when we're together, like he is here, he is with us. And what's he after? Preparedness, yes, but also growth. Growth, grow, that's what we've called this year as we're working through the gospel of John. We've been praying two prayers, Jesus, grow my faith and grow us together as a church family. He wants a relationship with you, with each of us. That's not going to happen if you're not abiding in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, have your way in this place right now. And we're trusting that by your Holy Spirit that you will do what you need and only can do in us. And maybe you need to bring something to our mind today. Maybe renew something in our hearts. Maybe there's a person here that's never made a decision to trust you as Lord and Savior. And today is that day. We are here for you. We are here only because of you. And I pray that we will know, we will know that there is nothing like abiding in Jesus. There is nothing like abiding in him. Have your way today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.